Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, securities markets. And I will stop at 4.35 so that you can take a quiz, a 10-minute quiz. And once you're finished with that, it's all over. Well, for the day anyway. Can't comment on your life in general. But as is usually the case, we're going to look at the numbers. And at the start of it, <laughs> I have to look at them myself here just for a few minutes. Okay, let's, let's try you, madam, because you sit in the front row. I'm going to fuss at you. Is it a bull day or a bear day? Okay. Oh, why is it? I turned it on. Let's try it again. There. Okay, bull day or bear day? Bull. Bull. It's not a very big bull. You know, it's not a it's sort of a moo kind of day, but it is an up day. Not substantial. Now notice the classic, the Dow is up a little bit. The S&P 500 is up a little more. Slightly riskier companies. And then the scrappy NASDAQ is up a half a percent. Again, this is not a spectacular day, but it is a positive day. And it's across the board positive, which indicates that there was some mildly positive information. Interestingly enough, you notice that all of the markets had an early morning spike, and then that fizzled with the, when the bears came in, and then the market kind of has recovered, and it kind of wavered back and forth, but are we at the end of the trading day now? Yeah, we've finished up. It's past 3.30. So we're all good now. It's over. We had a, decent, a little bit of an up day. <clears throat> now, going over here, if you have a look at crude, I had been talking about that uh, 72 to 82 uh, trading band on light sweet. And uh, it, you can see that it's pushing on that resistance line at 82. It's still cowardly. It's still not crossing that line, but it's bumping up against it. And it's interesting in that regard because uh, just, uh, I believe it was yesterday, some uh, oil was released from the National Reserve, but that didn't seem to deter the market from a little bit of a surge here. It's not like it's going to go through the roof, as I had said on Monday, we don't foresee any dramatic changes in the uh, oil uh, supply uh, chain for oil, uh, not for the not for the short term anyway. But gold uh, should point out here: gold had a pop, but again, notice that two thousand dollar per ounce. Uh, standing as a resistance, that $2,000 an ounce is sort of like the golden rod. It get above that, it's getting expensive. But so far, it's been holding below the resistance level at $2,000 an ounce. Uh, now, silver, 
which is more classic metal supply and demand, it, um, it didn't have a very good day. It had a little bit of a sour day. But now over here on the bonds, the yield was down, uh, which means the price was up. But that is just four-tenths of a basis point down on the yield. So the price went up a tiny bit. It's nothing to really interpret anything from. But we go over here and have a look at how the rest of the world is. Last night, when it was daytime in Tokyo, there was a brief pop, then a drop, and then a surge. And then by later in the morning, it started to fizzle out. And as you can see, it slid gently downward. It still finished up for the day, but it, it just barely. It was just kind of like uh, no great news to counteract any uh, bearish sentiment. So it kind of slid a little bit through the day. And as night fell in Tokyo, it was rising in London. And you can see that same surge and drop, oddly enough. You even saw that over here. It's something, something, a surge and then a drop. And I don't know if that was just everyone had some coffee and it wore off real fast or what. But that same little surge drop and then a recovery that, and then a fizzling of the recovery at the end. And strangely enough, you see kind of the same thing going on in the U.S. markets. And it's, uh, it's a positive, it's obviously, there's still bullish sentiment. We just don't have anything to make us really big on the bull side of the market. No big new information. But the good news is, it's not like we're having some down markets or a black swan. The one thing that did happen today was, uh, as is always the case, the GDP for the last quarter is reported and then later revised. The revised came out for last uh, quarter, and it was a little less than what the original figure was. But it was still a decent, I mean, up more. The GDP grew at about 2% pace. So, I mean, it's, it's still a, a healthy economy, nothing roaring and spectacular. So the markets are remaining bullish, but it's not anything really big bullish uh, right now. Now, I'm going to go, in, just as I usually do, I'm going to look at a few stocks, and then I'm going to do a couple, one new stupid pet trick with them. And whenever I do this kind of math, it's arithmetic, it's not hard. I just do it a couple of times, a couple of days, and then later I formalize it. Now you do it kind of thing. But at first, I'm just going to show you how one thing is done from the screens. And to start this off, uh, let me do lows. L. Before I do that, though, I want you to look at notice Lowe's, the trading symbol for Lowe's. It's just the letter L. When we look at Pfizer, that's three letters. Look at General Electric, two letters. But now let me look at a stock like Moderna, MNRA. That's four letter trading symbol. If it has one, two, or three letters, 
It's New York Stock Exchange. It's exchange on the physical platform where everyone's yelling and farting at each other. Four letters, that's a NASDAQ stock. It's on that scrappy OTC bulletin board, that kind of thing, exchange. So Moderna is a NASDAQ stock, whereas Pfizer, New York Stock Exchange, see it? And uh, Lowe's, New York Stock Exchange. Do you see it? That, now, so you can tell what exchange a, a stock trades on by how many letters it has. Now, strangely enough, if you look at this one, MSFT, four letters, a giant company on the exchange for the dwarves. Why? Because it started out there and they just never spent the money and all the aggravation to get on the New York Stock Exchange. Look at another one, AMZN, NASDAQ, another ginormous company still sitting there on the kids' playground. Now, so, you know, it, the size of the company, usually if it's a huge company, it's going to be on the New York Stock Exchange, but not necessarily. There are some big, big companies that are parked on the NASDAQ with the little kinds of companies that I got listed there back when I was a consultant. I mean, that's just, you know, how it is. Now, let me go back to Lowe's. And we'll look at some of the, whoops, L-O-E-W, Lowe's. Okay, now, going through the grinder on it. Lowe's Corporation. Actually, no, I won't do that because something's weird there. Let me do something else here. Um, uh... Uh, Pfizer, P-F-E, Pfizer. Yeah, that's a good company. Okay. Now, walking through it, notice that Pfizer was down a little bit today. It was, it's noticeable, about two-thirds of a percent, but just let's go through it just easily. Is this a risky or a not risky company, sir? Mm, not risky. That's right. It's only about half of the volatility of the world portfolio, 0.55. Is it undervalued or overvalued? No, it's undervalued. Price earnings ratio is below 30. So that generally tends to, it's well below 30, noticeably below 30. Now, let's try this one. Is, um, madam, is this a profitable company or an unprofitable company? Look at, look at earnings per share. Okay, what? Look at earnings per share, EPS. I don't down below beta, down below PE ratio. Oh. Is that a positive or a negative number? Positive. That means that that's the earnings per share, the net income divided by the number of shares outstanding. So the only way that would be negative 
is if earnings, the total earnings were negative. So I know this is a profitable company, and this company is, um, I mean, this company is making decent money per share. And it's got a massive market cap of $200 billion, and it pays a dividend. Now, here's the new stupid pet trick. We like to think in terms of annuals, annualized everything. And here Yahoo says their judgment is that Pfizer, one year from today, will have a stock price of $44.09. So we can calculate the one year total return. Now, capital gain is what you make from the stock price going up or capital loss from the stock price going down. So the capital gain is part of it, of what you totally make over the year. But there's also, if it pays a dividend, that's part of what you make too. In this case, Yahoo is saying that the stock price is going to go up, so you're going to make a capital gain. This company also pays a dividend. So that becomes part of your overall return. So here's how you do it. To get, this will be a one year, if it's not a year, it gets a little more complicated, but that doesn't matter to us now. Now I'm gonna pull up a calculator. You wanna do a, use a scientific, it's not, this is just arithmetic. The way you calculate the capital gain return is you just take the ending value. Yahoo says it'll be $44.09 divided by your initial investment, which in this case, right now, you would buy it for $35.90. And then you minus one. So it's the ending value divided by the beginning value, minus one. Now I'm going to times that by 100 to turn it into a percent. So according to Yahoo, if you buy a share of stock right now at 35.90, you will make a capital gain return of 22.81%. That's decent, that's a darn good return. But that's just on the stock price. You will also get a dividend as well. Now the yield on the dividend is 4.54%. So I'm going to add 4.54. So my total holding period, one year holding period return, will be a whopping 20, at least according to Yahoo, will be a whopping 27.35%. You can't beat that, that's darn, that's darn good. I mean, that's impressive for it. That's, that's how you calculate a one year return, total return. Now, if the company doesn't pay a dividend, well then the only thing you have to rely on is the stock price going up. You're not going to get a check in the mail like you will with a dividend-paying stock. But here we've got one. It's, that's what they're saying they think it will be. Now, I'm going to do another stock. We're going to do the same thing again.
and I'll pull out another one out of thin air. Um, Moderna, mRNA, I, was, I, did, I showed it. Now, Moderna, you've got to keep in mind that the current stock price has nothing to do with what the company has already accomplished. Moderna was one of the companies that led the way for creating the COVID-19 vaccine. That's over with. What the price of the stock will do from here is dependent upon what we expect the company to do in the future. Moderna is in the race for, to apply the RNA technology, messenger RNA technology, to create new vaccines. There are rumors or talk that they and a couple other companies are finally getting together on uh, getting the work done to get an HIV vaccine. Well, that would be freaking awesome because that one's vexed us for like 40 years, more than 40 years. They're also talking about vaccines that might work against cancer and cancers. So the future looks good. Now, Moderna right now is at $116.62 a share. In, Yahoo is saying in one year, it will be $181.47 a share. <coughs> Notice that Moderna does not pay a dividend. In other words, that earnings, a company can give dividends it can, or it can plow back into the company. Moderna chooses to pour all of its money back into the company, which theoretically should pop the stock price. And that's what Yahoo thinks is going to go on. So let's do the capital gain yield. On Moderna, Yahoo says that in one year, the stock price when you sell it would be $181.47. Divided by what you're going to invest, $116.62 right now, and then you minus one, you always minus one. Don't forget to minus one, for God's sake. <laughs> and then you times it by 100 Good Lord. <coughs> Yahoo is projecting that that company's stock is going to, the stock is going to go up 55.61%. Just the stock price. But notice they don't pay a dividend. So you're riding the full horse. There is no dividend check to help boost your total return. So it's all going to hinge on whether Moderna can actually achieve that kind of a stock price growth, pouring every penny it makes back into the company. Is this what's going to happen? Who knows? You're, I'm relying on projections by a company called Yahoo, which is a little concerning right there. But at the same time, you can also see, notice the beta of this stock. This is a risky AF company, 1.61. You expect it to, if you're going to take that kind of risk, you are going to expect a decent return on the stock. And Yahoo thinks that's going to happen. Whether you do or not is your decision based upon your uh, excuse me, analysis of the company. So there's different. One, the first one I did, had capital gain and a dividend. This one has nothing but a capital gain. Now let me take one more just for laughs. I'm going to do
Tesla. Okay, here we go. This one is interesting. Watch what happens. The Yahoo is projecting that the price of the stock one year from today is going to be $239.82. And for that, you will invest today $256.90. And there's no dividend to help you. So let's calculate the return, one year holding return on this one. It's the ending value, $239.82, divided by an investment right now of $256.90, minus one. Times 100. So, Yahoo is projecting that you will lose 6.65% on this investment. And there's no dividend to save your butt. You're riding just the stock price to make money, and they're projecting that you'll lose 6.65% of your investment on Tesla. So this one, just to show you, a capital gain, you lo you'd love it to be positive, but it can be negative. It can be negative. And, and also, surprisingly, this company's stock is extraordinarily risky, 2.07 on the beta, and it is overvalued at a P.E. ratio of $67.96. That's way above 30, which is my own kind of benchmark. So this is a little bit scary. This one's nasty. It's, it would be one you would be taking high risk and you would be not, there's no dividend, so you're not going to get a nice little check in the mail to save your butt. All you're going to do is, according to Yahoo, you're going to lose on this one. Just a little bit of the analysis of it. And you can do this for almost any stock. I mean, uh, just to calculate, Yahoo gives its one-year projection. There are a lot of services that give a one-year projection on the price. And because it's one year, the nice part is that you get an annual return. And that way you can compare it to other stocks and their annual returns. So there you are. It's where we, what, we're ta what we're doing in this kind of investment analysis. It's really basic. You can tell, you can see I'm not using calculus. I'm just using a stupid calculator to do some, and looking, using my eyes to determine risk and the overvalue or undervalue of the stock. That's all you do for some decent, on your own kind of investment analysis. The kind that people pay a lot of money for or they listen to experts they don't even know. So there's that in this whole game. Now, let me take you off this subject here for a little bit. And I'm going to take you through, now the book goes through your classic markets, the physical markets, the electronic markets, and all of that. But there comes a question that the 
It's sort of a theoretical question, but it has a very important uh, practical application. I talked about the intrinsic value and the market, the intrinsic price of a stock versus the market price of a stock. They're not going to be the same at any given point in time, unless it's really unusual. But what's behind that? Why, how are the prices being formed in the market itself? What are, let me do this. I, I wish I hadn't killed that. I want to do something here. Well, I can't do it now because the market is closed. Maybe I can see the aftermarket for something. Um, let me look at Kroger. No, I didn't mean to do that. I want Yahoo. Come on, Yahoo. Kroger. Now the market is closed, but there should be an active aftermarket. No, the market, the aftermarket isn't active right now either. Darn it, okay, well, one way or the other. Now if you watch a stock price, from minute to minute, it will be changing, up and down, and up and down. And that change is based upon supply and demand for the stock in the secondary market. Uh, stockholders will sell some of their stock, stock buyers will buy some stock, and those two forces are pushing against each other, and they are creating the minute-to-minute -minute price. But underneath that, what is that price, where is that price coming from? It's coming from information, information that is relevant to the future. And the question is, how efficiently are those prices that you see popping around, how efficiently are they getting that information and turning it into a stock price for the minute? That depends upon what form of efficiency the market really has. Now there is a weak form of efficiency. Stock price is showing all public information that is available at any given time. Everything that we all see is going into bears and bulls, fighting it out and getting it done. There's another form of efficiency that's darker. The price isn't showing the effects of just public information, but it's also showing the effects of private information, insider information. Now, insiders are allowed to trade stock, but they have to do it at certain times when the company isn't reporting any important things, and they can't do more than certain amounts. But is that all that is in those prices, or is there illegal private information? that should not be used for trading, actually showing up in price dynamics? The answer to that is, yeah. How much of it, how, how much does this happen? That's the question. We have, now, understand that it is illegal to do this. If you have private information, you probably are not allowed to trade on it. So if you do, you've probably broken the law. And if you're a normal person 
or a normal trader, you will be caught and you will be fined and possibly sent to prison. But there are what we call whales who get by with it time and time again. And they get by with it in staggering ways. A good example of this was before COVID-19 became known to the public as a major health threat. There was a member of Congress, a senator, who was one of the committee members when private hearings were held with health officials who were warning that something bad was about to happen. Well, that senator, as records disclose later, did some very clear trades that were using that information. Not only was she doing it, but her husband, who is and was the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange, he was doing it. Now, these two together were unquestioned. Oh, well, they said, well, it was just an accident. We have other people do our trades. Bullshit. They were doing it. No one touched them. They were too powerful. The very chairman of the New York Stock Exchange was trading on information he got from his spouse who got it in private hearings where it would not have been legal to trade on that information. But they did. So, yes, we know damn well that private information is pushing stock prices around. What we don't know is how often it happens or how dramatically it happens. So that's just a warning to you. We all are trying to, we're all playing on a competitive battlefield. But there are some people who are coming to the fight that's supposed to be with knives and they're bringing cannons to the field. So keep that in mind as you trade. There are private, there is the efficiency of the market isn't just all public information is impounded in stock prices. It's stronger. All public and some private information is also making the stock prices happen. Just a caution to you as you go forward. And no, don't you try to do it. I guarantee you. And I'm not going to try to do it because I just, I'm too pretty to go to prison. Now. You've all had economics, right? Good, good. I'm glad you had your economics courses, and I am certainly hopeful that you dumped a lot of it out of your minds. I, I have taught economics off and on for decades, but I kind of try to take a little bit different approach to uh, economics. I draw graphs, but the reasons things happen in economic terms are not because of the graphs. The graphs are just trying to show you an example of a, vi a, a visual way of thinking of it. Now, in economics, there are two laws. There is a law of supply, and there is a law of demand. There is no such thing as you might have heard some idiots say, well, it's just a law of supply and demand. There is no law of supply and demand. There's a law of supply and there is a law of demand. Now, the law of supply simply says, as the price of a product goes up, 
the quantity delivered to the market goes up in, in step. Graphically, if I were to draw quantity against price, all I would say is that price one, not much quantity would be delivered to the market. But at a higher price, price two, a higher quantity would be supplied to the market. That's a supply curve. That's all it says. It's just saying at higher prices, the quantity delivered to the market would be more. Supplied to the market would be more. Now, that's not the, the quantity supplied isn't the same as the supply. Supply itself is changed by much more fundamental factors. All price changes do is change the amount that is being delivered to the market. I pay you $5 an hour. There's side benefits. You get to work with me. Okay? <laughs> okay, you're going to give me about as much productivity as a monkey would. But if I say I'm going to pay you $50 an hour, you're probably going to you're going to bust your extra butt loaf doing the work. You're going to deliver more productivity to the market. This is the same thing that's true with uh, almost anything. As the price goes up, the quantity delivered goes up. Now similarly, the law of demand is just about as simple. As the price goes up, the quantity you demand goes down. That's not saying the demand goes down. The demand itself is driven by deeper factors. But it's just saying, look, if you have that quantity on the horizontal axis and the price on the vertical axis, as the price at a low price, there's going to be a lot of demand for the product. Quantity demanded is going to be pretty darn good. But as the price goes up, people aren't going to want, as, want to buy as much of it. So the demand curve is downward sloping. That's all it's saying, is that as the price goes up, the quantity demanded goes down. The demand doesn't go down, the quantity demanded goes down. Now the upshot of this is that someplace on these two graphs, there is a price where the quantity demanded is the same as the quantity supplied. And we draw it like this. We say, okay, you got quantity and you got price. We've got one side here, the supply of the product. And on the other side, we have the demand for the product. When those come together, we call it a market. I mean, th that's, a market isn't a graph. A market is a real thing. There are, want, there are those who want the product, and there are those who can deliver the product. That's what this is showing in a flat, kind of boring way. It's a market. Okay, so there is some place, some price, where the amount being supplied along the supply curve, quantity supplied, 
is the same as the quantity being demanded. In other words, there's a price where the quantity supplied is cleared by the quantity demanded. So that's why we sometimes, they call it the equilibrium price. A better description is it is the market clearing price. It's a market clearing price. It's equilibrium. But that's not really what's going, I mean, that, this is a flat graph. In reality, those two curves, those demand and supply curves themselves are buzzing back and forth. They swoop in and out in at least some markets, like for example, grain markets, stock markets, bond markets, not so much bond markets, but in reality, those are shifting around day to day, hour to hour, even second to second in some cases. That means that in reality, that market price, that clearing price, that equilibrium price is going to bounce up and down and up and down. As a matter of fact, sometimes it can bounce really hard. You'll have a spike or a drop off in reality. That's why you see stock prices changing from minute to minute. In one case, you could just decide, well, I'm going to sell 600 shares of Tesla. Over here, well, I, 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 I need to buy 400 shares. So there would be an imbalance and the price would have to uh, go down for you to push your price that you'd pay up, the quantity you'd pay up, and you would push the amount you wanted to sell downward. So the market would clear. But 10 seconds later, more orders come in and the imbalance would shift the other way maybe or push that way. That's how the markets really work. And I'll talk about this again and again. And if I have the guts, I'm going to show you an actual trading, the numbers. You'll literally see buy and sell orders coming in and how the price just bounces as that happens. That's why the equilibrium isn't a single value forever. It's actually like a, a hazy point, drifting upward, bouncing downward at all times, day and night. It's, it's wild. Let me try something here. I'm just kind of curious about something. Pfizer's sitting there looking stupid. I wonder, what about General Motors? Is there any activity in the... Oh, what the hell? Seriously? Yeah, well, no. What the heck? Yahoo. Where's my Yahoo? There's Yahoo. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Let me try um, General Motors. GM. Oh, here we go. Here's one where there, there's an aftermarket. Now, the aftermarkets tend to be kind of quiet usually. Not often do you see a lot happening. But if you watch, and this is Yahoo's, where everything is lagged a little bit. But even here, you can see that something pushed the equilibrium price up from the closing bell it pushed it up seven cents. That would probably mean that some orders came in, there was more orders for the stock came in than there were orders to sell the stock. So that pushes the, the, that pushes the uh, demand curve outward a little bit, and so a higher equilibrium price 
is showing. I wish this one was moving around. Is there one that would be active? This was not a big active day anyway. Everyone's sitting back. But um, um, come on. Oh, what would be a stock that's on the move right now? RIVN. I wonder what's happening with Rivian. Well, you see, I mean, these should, these are actually, these numbers are actually changing, but with Yahoo, they don't, it doesn't report every instance of a change. If you see a real trading platform, you'll see that these numbers are moving around more than what you see here. But as you can see, at the closing bell a while ago, the price, the equilibrium price, where the quantity supplied was being cleared by the quantity being demanded, the equilibrium price was $22.88. But after that, it would appear that more sell orders than buy orders came in. So the sell orders would make the supply curve switch, shift outward a little bit, and that would cause this to go down somewhat. That's all, because when you sell something, that puts more of the supply into the order chain. So that would look like there were some sell orders and there weren't as many buy orders over the last hour or so. So the price slid down a little bit. That's real, that's equilibrium happening in real time. It's not a fixed number. And in any market that has active trading, grain, oil, stocks, it'll be on the move all the time. It just f jumps around, bounces. And that is one of the good reasons why the market price isn't the intrinsic value. The intrinsic value is a hum, a long term, that's calculated by long term uh, sentiments and uh, expectations of the company. So the intrinsic value is the long term, and from day to day, the market price is whatever the hell the buy and sell orders are doing to supply and demand dynamics. That's all it is. Now, this is a little different from how you would have seen it in a classical microeconomics course, but this is how it actually happens in the real world. Now, moving on from there, though, however, Oh, that's the latest it's been today. I'm going to see if I can try this on someone here. Um, are you a rational person? Yeah. yeah. I'd say so. I'd say so, too. You look rational. How about you? Are you rational? Mostly. Mostly? Yeah. Dude, I want to hear yeah all the time. Yeah. I don't want you to be irrational, like, you know, when I've given you nitroglycerin to pack into a bomb that I'm going to put underneath my house so I can get some insurance money. <laughs> I mean, okay. In classical economics and in classical finance, we assume that everyone is rational. We assume that you're all greedy that I am greedy, we are all looking to get more of everything in life, including money. So we assume that you will do this in rational ways, based upon risk and all of that. Uh, 
Now, I can, you know, I could show you how you could make a lot of money tomorrow, but, you know, the risk is that you could be shot dead, and if you've survived it, you'd be in prison for the next 50 years. But I could make you a lot of money. Promise. See, that's the other thing that comes in, is your tolerance for risk. We all want to make more money. We're all rational. But we also all have to look at what our risk profile is. How much risk will, will, am I willing to take to make lots more money? Am I willing to break laws? Am I willing to violate social norms? Am I, vi am I willing to violate my, any religious upbringing I had? So that comes into it too. But the underlying lodge, uh, lodge, um, assumption of economics and finance is that we are acting at all times rationally. But how does that explain how stupid people can be? Well, part of that is a lack of all information. You don't have enough information. What The information you have, you act rationally on it. But you don't have enough information to act optimally rationally. Okay, but there's even more to it than that. Let's take it this way. Why do we see the overwhelming number of amateur investors will stop because they have lost a lot of money? They will not stop until they, they, they will not stop until they have lost enough that they are eating spam. Not that there's anything wrong with spam. I have some cans in my office. If you want to come down sometime, I'll fry some up for us. But why do they do that? Why do people buy lottery tickets? You will not win. You will lose. And yet, we have our governments at the state, even at federal levels, they will allow people to do what seems to be completely irrational and hurtful to their economic situation. Why do we see these behaviors? All this finance that I teach you is about rational action by rational agents in highly efficient markets. And yet something is missing because we are not modeling what people actually do. This is where, and this, when I first heard about this like 10 years ago, I, uh, being a conservative kind of person, and a lot of my fellow economists, we laughed at this idea of what was called behavioral finance. What do you mean behavioral finance? That's stupidest ass term. Everything is by the laws of physics and all that. Behavioral finance, oh God, are we going to get into touchy-feely psychology or something like that? But no, now we know that it's legit. Let me explain. Okay, uh, I'm looking, looking for someone. You, madam. You go into a casino. Okay, you ever been to a casino? Okay. Oh, come on. And? I mean, dude, I know guys who will make you a car. No, oh, anyway. Oh. 
I'll have to shut up here, okay? <laughs> Never mind you. You're, you seem to be adamant about not doing things the fun way. <laughs> so I'm going to take, take it on you, okay? You go into a casino. Now, as you are walking into the casino, you remember what I said in this class. The house always wins. Whether you do or not is not our problem. We win. And you go to the door and the bouncer, his name is Olaf. He's standing there and his muscles are rippling, ripple, ripple. You are going to lose your ass. You walk through the doors and a voice from heaven says, you're going to lose your ass. And then I'm dead by this time. And my ghost comes to you and says, the house always wins. Are you nuts? At the end of the day, you're going to come out of here so poor that you won't be able to afford the OR letters, so you're just po. <laughs> you won't even be able to afford the barrel after they've sold your clothes, okay? They have n you're going to lose. But you go in. And the first table you see, you have a good chance of winning at that table. See, I'm going to put the easy tables at the front of the casino. I'm going to put the winners. So you play that table, and you do win. Now, you know that you're, sometime tonight, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose all. But at that first table, you won. So, you go, you look, and there's the next table. What are you going to do? Walk out, or are you going to go to the next table and play? Bingo. And whether or not you won, that first table made you feel like your subjective short-term odds were higher than they actually are. And as the night goes on, you will still be shaped by what happened initially. And what each table seems to be a winner. But you know you're going to lose by the end of the game. By the end of the night. This is behavioral finance. We think, well, these people are irrational. No, they're not. They are acting on prior information. On the information of the minute. I'll tell you a story about this. For a while, I was, at a, I, I was a carny. We had, the, you know, those uh, on the midway, the games where you give money and you uh, try to win stuffed animals and all this kind of stuff. Here's the game we play. Uh, run one of those ones that has all the balloons with the darts. Okay, now, you're a, let's say you're a five-year-old little girl with your parents, and I say, come here, I, got I want you to play. You're going to win, don't worry, come on, come on, come on. Okay, and so you go up to me, what do you want, you pervert? And so I say, okay, I, I'm not even going to charge you. I'm, I'm just going to show you how much you're going to win. So I have the darts there, and you pick up a dart. I said, let me help you. Oh, you're good. You're really good at this. Second one you pick up, and I help you pop. Let's keep going. You're so good at this. See, this is an easy game, and you get all five of the darts, you pop a balloon. 
and I give you a ginormous teddy bear. And I say, you tell everyone where the easiest game on the arcade is. And so you walk away with this giant teddy bear. That, that perv over there, I want a good I want a teddy bear off him. He's not so bad. Do you see what I've done? I've created a perception in everyone that the odds of winning are higher than they really are. That's exactly how it works. It's the same thing with lottery tickets. You advertise on TV, Joe and Martha ho-handle. Wow, we won $35 million, and you can too. And so everyone thinks they can win. Their odds are shaped behaviorally by the prior expectation of winning. I can win at this. This is a stock market. I've heard all these wonderful stories about winners. How often on TV do you... You see these guys go on TV. I'm a winner in the stock market, and i got a system that I can sell you for $19.95. And if you order before midnight, I will also sell you a Ronco Vegematic. It slices and dices. It makes julienne fries. Now, isn't that amazing? I won in the stock market. You can, too. You see these. Okay, how many times for every one of those... There are literally a million who lost. How often do you see one of those guys going to, ha, I lost my ass in the stock market and I can show you how to as well. For $29.99, I can show you how to become so miserably poor that you will eat cat food for the rest of your life and your cats will starve. They don't do that. They shape the perceptions. That's behavioral finance. Creating a prior expectation of winning against the long-term understanding that you will lose. Casinos do it, lotteries do it, the stock markets do it. That's just how we roll. It's, it's, uh, and behavioral finance also explains why people will... We, there are predatory lenders that like payday loans. Later in the course, I'm going to show you the interest that you act, what's called the effective interest rate on one of these two-week loans, it will knock you dead. It's not just 10, 20, 30, 40%. It's literally thousands of percent the interest rate is on those short-term payday loans. It will knock you off your uh, uh, seat. It's that bad. Why do people do it, though? because their expectations are shaped by what they will get now, not by what is going to happen later. <sighs> there you go. So finance can get interesting, but it's a warning shot right now that when I show you about investments, walk in and listen to that voice, the house always wins. And you probably will not. Even though you've heard about all the people who've won, even if you have already won, you're just going to keep going from table to table until the night is over and you walk out of there wearing a barrel over you because you lost your shirt. Oh, a mother's work is never done here. Now, um, you have a quiz. It's in Canvas. Go ahead and open it up and rock on. Now, the password is cat's rule. Once you have finished that quiz, 
That's all I have for you today. I thank you.